0: So I'm just going to read um, a bit of the scripture. Um, It's a bit longer. I want us to get the picture of the story. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her." Abram agreed to what Sarah said, so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai ill-treated Hagar, and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur, And he said to Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too human to And In Genesis chapter 21, verse 18. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son of whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham was not here. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. That God said to him do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he up. He lived in the desert, he came apart. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife, Father, we are, um, we're aware that this, this is not about us. We're aware when we worship and sing the songs that we sing, that this is not about us. This is not our big story. This is your story. And just like we're reading about Abraham and Sarah and Nudo and Ishmael, we are simply parts of that story. And, uh, I do pray that this morning, God, okay, we will open our eyes, if you were here last week, you remember that Kate spoke about the impact of the promise that God makes on Abraham and Sarah. And she talks about the fact that Sarah was also part of the promise. And and there's a big difference between the role of Sarah and anyone else that is alongside Abraham. And the difference is this that God that the promise but God made to Abraham, he was also making it to Sarah. It wasn't that Sarah would be blessed because of Abraham, like, like Ishmael would be blessed. Sarah was part of the promise. God made the promise to her and you find that, that other people are blessed or cursed because of Sarah. So God had actually made the promise to the both of them. And she looked at last week what happens when the promise comes under pressure, and this is probably the best example in the Story of Abraham of where the promise comes under pressure. So we hear that they'd lived in the land for ten years and nothing has happened. Nothing's happened. They've been promised uh, land, they've been promised offspring, nothing's happened ten years later. So Sarah says to Abraham, look, take my mason. She clearly didn't want to do that. It's not like she said, Abraham, why you know why don't you have another one? you know, you're a fit man, why don't you do one? But she didn't do that. She didn't want Abraham to take Sarah, um, to take Hagar, but it was almost like, God's God's not doing anything with me, take her. It wasn't. It was the promise under pressure. And Abraham, at that point, he sort of gives in and goes, oh, okay. And so you you get this situation of the, the promise is under pressure, this is the best example of it. And I just want to say, uh, make some observations, but I want to make this observation over our, our series of, on Abraham that we've been sort of doing for the last few weeks. And it's this. Let's just remember what God did not promise Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would bless him, he would be a blessing, and that nations would be blessed through him. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's what he promised Abraham. He didn't promise Abraham that that would be easy. He didn't promise Abraham that it would be fun. Look, Abraham, we're going to just have a great time. Yeah, you and me and we're going to create all this stuff but he didn't promise Abraham an easy ride he didn't promise it would be fun he didn't promise it would be leisurely it's just going to be great we're going to indulge on that it's going to be wonderful he didn't promise him that That the phrase um, well as long as you're enjoying it that's the main thing you hear that phrase people say that to you I remember somebody said that to me um, we've been here at Beacon for a couple of years it was tough or it's tough for us it It's tough for us and this guy said to me, he said, Well as long as you enjoy it. it. No, as I didn't say I as As long as you're enjoying it, that's the main thing. Really? Now, I don't want to detract from Pete's word about joy, but as long as you're enjoying it, that's the main thing. That is not what God said to Abraham. God said, I'm gonna bless you. These are the ways in which I'm gonna bless you. He doesn't promise instant success. In fact, we haven't read it, but one of the things that God says to Abraham is, Oh, by the way, before you inherit this land, your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. He tells him that. So uh, imagine what, what... What do you mean? He tells him that up front. He doesn't promise him instant success. He doesn't promise him personal satisfaction. God doesn't do any of that to Abraham. He promises him the land, and he promises him offspring, and he promises the blessing. He doesn't say how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. He just promises. So actually, it's not very easy being Abraham to live with that. Okay, because you and I, we're, we're detailed people. Okay, God, before you go, before you go, God, can you just give me a little bit of You know, like when, how... You know, are you going to give me, you know, me and Sarah, we're old. Are you going to give me someone else? Or it, can you just give me a little bit more information? That's often how we do stuff. And that was no different to Abraham and Sarah. So, 10 years on, nothing's happened. They're living in the land. Sarah said why don't you take my mason? Yeah? Now, again, to us, that would be culturally unacceptable said to me, well, why don't you take this yeah. and, we, and you would be going well you know, he said yeah, she said it was okay in fact she encouraged me you would be like Dick. it's culturally unacceptable in those days it was culturally acceptable for Abraham to, to, to sort of take, you know, maid and all this other stuff, but we must understand it wasn't God's best yet. It wasn't God's choice for him. It wasn't God's way for him to do that. But for Sarah and Abraham, it made sense. It just made sense. You know, this is culturally acceptable. You're barren. How are we going to do this offspring thing? Okay, but well why don't you know Sarah why don't you take Hagar and you can build it through her? That that's okay. And no one in the culture would have said. It was completely a reasonable thing for them to do. They were going to benefit from the promise, hallelujah, God's, God's on the throne and he's using us to fulfill his purposes. But that was not God's best for them. It may have been a reasonable approach, but it was not the right approach. And yet, and this is one of the wonderful things about the story of Abraham's Sarah, because we're just like that. Think about it. Think about what you're like. Think about Let me think about what I'm like. I take perfectly reasonable approaches. They're perfectly reasonable approaches. God makes a promise. I make a promise what am I going to do? How am I going to get into action? interaction? How am I going to see where oh, I can do these things? We have to live like that. We do stuff. We make things happen. It's not always God's way. Because God's way is the way of faith. And yet, divine mercy often brings good out of human folly. Divine mercy often brings good out of human folly. And they made a foolish decision. But God is merciful and God is gracious. Now, the fact that He's merciful and gracious doesn't make the decision. God is gracious, God is merciful but it doesn't make your foolishness right, oh, you know, there was some benefits, now, oh, yeah, but that was wrong it was still wrong, it still wasn't a move for an act of faith so we have to be aware of our culture even the Christian culture which allows for certain things, but they're not moves of faith, they're not about trusting God. they're more about being innovative and organise and planned and program we can do stuff but actually God wants a people who trust him yeah the trust is in him it's not in it's not even in oh he's given me all sorts of adults That's right. yeah but you don't fulfill his purpose that you're a good you fulfill his purpose who followeth his ways and secondly second observation Abraham lives with a mistaken of relief so Abraham sleeps with Hagar, Hagar has a baby and they call it Ishmael at that point, let's be honest Abraham doesn't know that Ishmael is not the answer to the promise. so for 13 years he lives now he's probably thinking it's a little bit different Sarah's not nearly that now it's a little bit but we've got something we've got nothing Living, just holding on. Yeah? So Abraham lives with this mistaken belief that he has, uh, he's fulfilling the promise of God to Ishmael. There's nothing to suggest he doesn't live like that, and that there's nothing to say because before, before Abraham and, and sleeps with Hagar, when God promises him stuff, he's not specific about Sarah. Now obviously in God's mind it would always say but he's not specific about it and they live for 13 years From when he's 86 and 99 he lives like that and then when he's 99 and God comes to him again and God says it's through Sarah that you're going to have this offspring." it's not what Abraham thought but what would you think if for 10, 11, 12, 13 years you had given your life to something that you thought God was calling you you really up what you were doing Praying and fasting, you're seeking him, and you're doing this thing, you think God's called you to it, and then you discover I was. I was just This is the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus thinks he's doing the will of God by persecuting the Christians. Because he thinks the Christians are completely out of order. They're wrong. Then on the road to Damascus, he discovers that he was wrong. He discovers it. Oh my goodness. That's what happens to Abraham. made you know, I say all that. It's not, it's not clear that what type of response you get. maybe he must I well, do it. But also you must be thinking, the mercy of God. The mercy of God to me. Because I've been mistakenly doing all of this. And actually, God has been the merciful. God's sovereign choice was to be even more remarkable than, than they ever could have ever. They thought they'd fulfilled it. And yet, God is saying, no, 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 you not fulfilled anything. It's going to happen through Satan. Really? They laugh. They both laugh at different points. And sometimes, we have to believe and not restrict God's ability to fulfill his promise. Because we can sometimes think, oh, how's God going to do that? Or maybe he's going to do it like this. Or maybe he's going to do it like that. We don't know. It. So we must have restricted it. We must have think to ourselves that we know how God will do things because we don't always know how he will do things. The next observation I want to make in this account is that Hagar, To Sarah. She submits to Sarah. And in our minds and in our culture, this is disturbing. Sarah mistreats Hagar. We're not told what that mistreatment looked like. Maybe maybe she whipped her, maybe she pulled her, maybe she did something to really dishonor her or or take away her dignity. She, She mistreats her to such an extent that Hagar, though she was pregnant and had nowhere to go, she runs away. She's mistreated. Sarah doesn't treat away and says, Abraham doesn't say about it. She's mistreated by her mistress. And maybe for Sarah, the promise is under pressure. It's getting to her. She's angrier, Abraham, she's a Hagar. She's under pressure. She's feeling it because she thought that, you know, if you have a baby, maybe you could be a surrogate mother when it turns out that Hagar wasn't a surrogate mother, it was her child. That became obvious, it was her child, not his child, not Sarah's child. And then God says to Hagar, go back into the Middle He says, I'm not really wise and right Go back into the Middle She's just going to be in Why would you send her back? Why would you send her back to to continue that? There's nothing to indicate that Sarah was guilty or was asking for forgiveness, nothing. You just send her back. The only difference, it's a big one, is that Hagar had now met God. She described it this way, I've seen the God who sees me. She meets God, and God speaks to her. Can you imagine that? You're, you're a slave woman, you're an Egyptian slave woman, and suddenly you hear something. And you think, what? what have I heard? And you realize it's the voice God. God has spoken to me. He's called me by name and he's told me my situation. So he sends her back. He doesn't appear to do anything to send her. He sends her back. And actually, what's different now is what's in Hagar's heart. Now I'm not saying this treatment is right at all. But Hagar responds differently. She didn't run away again. But but let's not let's not think that suddenly it was all peace and light, because it really wasn't all great. It wasn't all great for her. But she lives now with a promise. She's living with something in her heart. She also told me that this child is going to be great. Right. So okay, I have to put up with this. The sin. The weakness of man. The sin of man. I have to live with that. But actually. Living it, living it. You see, sometimes for us, we experience difficulty, and I'm not just talking about circumstantial. But sometimes difficulty is in relationships, was a relational conflict. And maybe you have a relational conflict. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you know there's someone at work who like, "Ah, I never work when I when we talk, it doesn't work. Yeah, something's not right." Maybe it's in the church. Maybe it's in your home that you experience relational difficulties. Maybe somebody in anger and frustration has rolled over at you. And you're thinking, "Oh, that's not right. That's unreasonable. That's not, that's not fair. Clearly, there are times when that is just unacceptable. You know, if you're being bullied or, or, or physically abused, you, you need to do something, something. You need to act on that. But sometimes... Sometimes conflict doesn't mean that what's not Sometimes conflict is the way he's showing Sometimes if, if you're finding difficulty with your boss and your boss is putting you under pressure, that is not the first sign to think, oh, I might need to be just. You know, my boss is getting it in, a job like that the it the it's, it's, it's a bit Sometimes, that's not a, that's not the answer to that, it's not to get that. Sometimes the answer is to trust me. Sometimes the answer is to look back at the point. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But I'm coming to you at that I am being messed up by myself. You know I am. You can see it. I haven't done all those things. You can see it. Sometimes we take things into our own hands, a bit like Hagar does and we run away. But the truth we don't learn anything. Because we learn to stick, we learn to get out of it. we learn to avoid but we don't learn how to do it. And we don't realize that God can sometimes lead you. And when you don't realize that you know God very strong, when you don't think God can help you and meet you in to you, get you. God suddenly becomes someone that can only do it when he's in the same time. Or God. God is like so much as God. And that's the one thing. He sends a And it could be ongoing, ongoing positivity. That doesn't mean that you go, oh, no i not, very, not I'm down. i wonder whether I did that if we recognize it. If we recognize, to me? to Or maybe he a problem with his kids or whatever it is. I'm not saying there are times when you need to get up and move on. But actually a lot of times that's not the way. a That's when you discover a different need to that. And different challenge. And we must learn those lessons. Because it's only as you learn those lessons, that you to mature. don't know cheer. You're going to The maturity doesn't come to get It comes to surrounding yourself because it. The through, you know where you like. The maturity comes to trust the and, and you go to him. So we came to be thinking. I remember worrying. I worried about you i worried about the money that I have to And i worried that the God is very relational, and that's very important. And, and in the end, like, oh, I did not have to go to anyway, I anywhere else to go, actually. But God made it for me that I didn't have anywhere else to go. Yeah? And, and I'm so grateful that I'm married to it. And I'm so grateful that I'm to all of But one of the reasons I'm grateful, I'm the to is because even with the she doesn't indulge She doesn't indulge it. She doesn't allow me to live there. She doesn't allow me to stay there. She doesn't allow that weakness to grow in me. And I'm grateful. Because it's through things like that that I've learned to trust. That now I'm in a place where, where, where I'm meeting God and, and okay mean that I don't have difficulty or challenge, but I, I know where I go when I do. I know where I go when I do. So one of my encouragement here is always about know hey, you, you, you've got devotion, are you so excited? You've worked with the land? are you it? Are, re- are you doing those things? Because if you don't do those things, you won't extend the freedom to and have the rest You'll run away, you'll find a way out. That's how we do it. There's much more we can learn from this particular time, but I just want to mention, things around, what about, know, one of the reasons are to the what he yeah? and we don't What sometimes is the God of the Old Testament is true and the good and the God of the New Testament is full of great And it's just that. The God of the Old Testament is full of find so, this, this account, just looking a little bit at the story of Hagar and Ishmael, is a wonderful explanation of what God is like and a God is a child, and about that We're not just objects that he has, he has there to we are his children he is our he reveals himself as to us. And when you find Hagar, wandering in the desert, you the looking find that the God becomes like husband a husband and Because is the first single That's the, the first single with Hagar there are some lessons we can learn. And You'll know that one of the things God has called us to prophetically is to support and be a community that other people can come into. And, and it's been mentioned in so uh, specifically. Now we don't have many, or anything single the regular regularly, but it's a promise to prophetically. So I just want to tell a few things about God. What does this passage show us about God when it deals with Hagar, and it deals with Ishmael? first thing we see is Hagar wandered in the desert. She went on her way, she wandered in the desert. But God wandered with her. She doesn't realize that, but the same God who spoke to her before, he wandered with her in the desert. He protects. You see, statistically speaking, Hagar was not stand She's on her own with a boy. She's no longer under the covering of Abraham. She would have been blessed. She would have seen that. She would have seen the blessing. On a human level, there is no hope for her. Daughter. She sended her with the water, but no doubt Abraham stands in On a human level, that was it. Her situation was both gasping. God, being a, 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 a husband and a father, he protects her, and he reverses the natural order of her life coming in the her. And God around the situation from she has to be an open He does something, he protects her. Secondly, it tells us that God heard the boy cry. He hears the boy cry. So God doesn't just protect her, he is present. The role of father. the father. but but my presence. The reason you need to battle weight, battle your way through marriage. is a presence. It's a husband, father, Sometimes in an intangible way. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm not saying that. By presence, I mean you're that you're there. You're not sitting there watching TV and you're never talking. You're there. You, you're engaged in, in the process of raising. So God is present. He calls. The, he hears the boy cry and he calls to Hagar. Hey, yeah, Ishmael cries, and God hears his, he hears the cries like a prayer. He hears it like a prayer, a bit like your children cry. You, you hear it as a father, you respond to it. Yeah, for years I used to get up when my dogs cried. We were asleep, and I would get up. I'd be like, oh, for years I would that. You hear them cry, yeah, let's just give them the light to sleep and all that. Let's see if any other. So he's present. See, whereas previously God reversed the natural order of things by allowing Hagar and Ishmael to survive when we're the mission of God, here he establishes. Ishmael cries, God speaks to Hagar. He doesn't go to Ishmael, he speaks to Hagar. Why? Because Hagar is his mother. He doesn't have a father right now, so the authority in Ishmael's life is his mother. And God establishes that at this point. Ishmael cries, he says, Hagar. He calls to Hagar from heaven, what's the matter? Don't be afraid of curbing. A really, really, important lesson in this. book. And for some of us, it's, moment it's not relevant because we're, we're not the children or or maybe we're, we're a husband and wife and it's because it's not not relevant. But it's really important. What God does at this point is he establishes the authority relationship between God and mother. When so the child has authority and responsibility over danger dangerous if you don't recognize that parents have a soul that the truth. that's why as a parent you want to be loving and kind and there for your children's support. Children. but you're not trying to be their best mate yo, you're not, you're not trying to be their best mate because that's not how it works really, and that's not how God designed it to be, that you would be their best mate yeah, if you're married here your primary relationship is with your husband or your wife, primary you must give that finally. Yeah? That's the relationship that counts. Because if that relationship works, the other relationship will work. But if you're not putting that relationship first and you put first the other relationship, things become dysfunctional, actually. We think of dysfunctional families as being a bit no doubt, but we can be very dysfunctional. We can be very dysfunctional if I get out of my kid, right? Like, I put into my kids, what I should be putting as a well. that's just function. that's not how God determines and even when it's a, a single parent you need to keep the audience I'm parent and child they're not best mates they're not sisters or brothers I'm parent and child now when I say that you would see you would see how much it's me in the late age. Yeah. so I'm not saying that <laughs> what am I not saying Yeah. Even though Rihanna comes up into my house, hits me, calls me nervous, I'm getting to trouble. Uh, yeah? And we sort of know that. Yeah? My primary relationship is the feeling. I make sure that relationship works. Because if that relationship works, then the environment will be God hears the boy cry, he's present, he's there, and he he establishes the natural order parent, child. And then finally, God gives the boy a drink. God opens her eyes, she sees a well of water, she goes and fills it, and she gives the boy a drink. What does God do? He's God's God shows her how she can. So if you're a father here today, not speaking to myself. But if you're a father today, your role is to protect. does you need to learn how to do it. But your role is to protect. And protection is not just about, on guard for my people. But, but there's a spiritual protection, there's an emotional protection. You. Protect and actually, even if you don't have your own children, if you're a man here today, and there are, and there are uh, women and children in our church, you protect You protect. If you're a man here today, you are present. That means if you don't go home and you sit by the pellet and drugs, then you should be anywhere you are there, you're present, you're there. you're involved. If you're a man here today, you right of the reasons that we want to focus a little bit on is removing you know, Because we live in a world where this no longer out. I mean what I didn't say earlier when I talked about men and women is that we have right now more passion stuff around diet than we've got. You know? More of our prayer gifts are, are, are women than there are men. And yet the role of the diet is so important that we must give some focus. God is sovereignty is summarizing. His sovereignty is covered He doesn't waste our experience. So, so you might think he said, I've not had. You know, I've I've done what Abraham said, I've, I've done a cage out there. I've sort of gone off and done my mistakes. But God doesn't waste your experience. He's mercy. They're no dead anything, but right? he's crazy. You can always come back to it. He doesn't say no. Secondly, God is not like the God is not like that. God is not like that. We get desperate and worried and stressed about stuff. When you look at the world around you, you, you look at some of the decisions the Parliament are making, you look at the way young people are, we get distressed and worried and say, oh my goodness, what's Why does it need to be like that? What is the plan that's effective? Why like he like 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 allows things to go on in the way that they do, I can't answer that. Why does God end up coming down to Sodom and Gomorrah and shooting at I can't answer that Why does he just flick his fingers and it all chase? I can't answer that one. Other than we're made in his image, we're made with some sense of him wanting us to drive believers and, and willingly come to him. There's a lot in the Bible about willingness, about the heart, about us coming. He's not like the He understands. He sees the big picture. He sees the feelings. We, see. we only see the most that we can know clearly and practically from the Old Testament as much as we have from the New Testament. How do you know something about about not just So why don't we just close our eyes just for a moment? You cannot testify at this moment that you're faithful. You're fateful. And that they break you. You might be going through a difficult time. You might be at that point where, like Hagar, where she runs away. She doesn't know how to cope. Or you might be Sarah where because of the pressure of things. You've reacted. You reacted. And yet even then, Sarah and her dad, they were here now, they were testifying to what's going on. the are Father, I want us to be faithful. I want us to be faithful. I want us, to be, I want us to be faithful. Because you have God's not all the husband would want but you didn't promise to do easy, you didn't promise to be easy, you didn't promise to be good. I'm to, 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 to do don't be don't to going to 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 the best banner, 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 the best bann the best man, the best